Hello and welcome to the Spirit Guiders. My name is Emily Baker and welcome to the special Halloween edition. Tonight we're going to be going through some lovely stories that people have sent to me. I sent out a shout out on Facebook and uh, thank you very much for your responses on that. So here goes. Please sit back, have a nice mug of hot cocoa in your hands and relax and listen. Maybe if you've got some comments, you'd like to share it on our Facebook page, The Spirit Guiders. The first story I'm going to tell you is one that was sent to me. Um, well, it wasn't actually sent to me. It was told to me by a young chap called Joe. Now, Joe was in his um, 20s, um, quite a tall, sensible, go-getting bloke. Okay, so he's got his own business um, and he's doing really well with it. So nothing extraordinary there. Joe was telling me that he was um, sitting at home with his family and his mum rushed in to the front room where he was saying she'd lost the diamond out of her ring, out of her wedding ring. Now, obviously, anybody who says that they've lost a ring out of their wedding ring, everybody goes a bit berserk and starts looking for it. And that's exactly what happened. He said, no, they turned over the house, looked absolutely everywhere for this diamond, um, looked in all of the rooms everywhere, and they couldn't find it whatsoever. So then um, a few days later, and I think it may have been over a week or so, um, there's Joe sitting in the front room watching TV, minding his P's and Q's, nothing extraordinary at all. It's a normal everyday. The ring um, still losing its diamond still hasn't been replaced is back at home so anyway he notices out of the corner of his eye this black shadow now joe being joe um doesn't turn around two things go through his head one if i turn around the thing's just going to disappear isn't it two do i really want to turn around and have a look at this black shadow no not really Okay, so he sits there still kind of semi-concentrating on the TV, but still kind of knowing that there's this thing to the core, out of the corner of his eye in the periphery of his vision. Now, his vision takes him out of the front room into the hallway. And the hallway is obviously the front door leading through to the back of the house and to the rest of the rooms. So Joe takes that courage and turns around. And as he does so, the shadow takes a step back down the hallway, backwards. Now, if I haven't mentioned this, I should mention that the shadow there looked like a man, but it also had his head bowed down. So it wasn't actually looking at Joe. He was looking at the ground. That was the weird thing of it all. So Joe thinks, okay, I'll pop my head out. So he pops his head out. There's nothing there in the hallway. Not even the black shadow. He goes, right, okay. So he goes over to where the black shadow was standing. Looks down to what the black shadow was looking at on the floor. And there he spots something twinkling and sparkling. And there is the very diamond that they've been looking for for a few weeks previously. Not being able to find it. And this is a busy household, people are in and out. So some of you may say, yes, well, it just kind of got moved there. Yeah, possibly on the bottom of somebody's shoe. But yes, but 
It still doesn't explain the black shadow, though, does it? And the black shadow actually looking at it in the hallway. Good one, Joe. Like that one. Our next couple of stories come from Elizabeth. So I'm just going to read them out to you as they've been sent to me. Hi, Emily. I just finished a two-year beauty therapist course, passed and got a student of the year award. I was 32 and feeling proud of myself. So my mum, my dad and my son went out to celebrate at the dog. Now she'd been working there at the at the dog there at weekends to help with money wise and she was she was a waitress there so she knew the pub pretty well. And what she goes on to talk about is a couple of instances that happened one to her and also one to the landlord and landlady or the managers rather should I say. So anyway, she went there to the dog to celebrate and uh, she went there with her mum, a dad and a son. And while she and they sat oh, at the far side of the restaurant, Elizabeth said out loud to mum, I wonder if our family in spirit are here celebrating with us. And with that, a flower fell out of the air and landed on the table. There are no flowers on the table anywhere in the restaurant and they were too far away from the kitchen for someone to throw it as well, she says. And she just couldn't explain it. Now, here's another instance that happened at the dog. The managers are CP and Sheila. CP sat up in bed in the flat above the restaurant and an old-fashioned hairpin dropped into his pyjama pocket. The thing is that he's bald. Not that many men wear hairpins, but, you know, just putting it out there. Sheila um, would be hoovering. She suddenly turns around and there's a hairpin on a carpet as well. Now, Elizabeth also says that she heard her name being called in the restaurant, but no one was there. She goes on to say, apparently an old lady and her son lived in the property before it became a pub. So there we go. Could be in the old lady. So that's a good story. Now, Elizabeth has got quite a few stories here. Um, she's got another um, one, two, three, four, four stories for us. So it should be great. Okay. So this one is Elizabeth. Now, she's working as an architect in an architect's office in Starport. Um, and she, there was a young temp there called Debbie. And she was typing away when she suddenly winced and wriggled in her seat. And I said, are you okay, Deb? And the man's voice to the side of Elizabeth said, she fell off her horse as a kid. I looked around and no man was there. She said, yeah, an old injury. I fell off my horse when I was little. Elizabeth later found out that she was Debbie Bodenham. Her brother was John Bodenham, the drummer with Led Zeppelin. Um, and sadly, he died of, of an overdose. Uh, there we go. Famous connections. Now, Elizabeth's mum followed a lady up the stairs in what was a closed shop in Kidderminster. I don't know which shop this is, by the way. And at the top of the at the top, the lady just disappeared. There we go. Short but sweet one there. Elizabeth has a picture 
of Jesus with a crown of thorns. It's over a hundred years old and it used to hang in her grand's sister's box room. It's painted in a special way that in one light the eyes looked open, but in another way they looked closed. Anyway, she was about six and was staring at this picture. She was on her own in the box room and suddenly the eyes opened and flashed the most beautiful blue colour. Elizabeth forgot about the picture, but when she died, she asked if she could have the picture and she was given it. But she couldn't believe it. The picture was in all shades of brown. And I said to my mum, where are the blue eyes? Mum turned around and said, it's never had blue eyes. It's a sepia drawing, very popular in the Victorian paper period. But I know she knows what she saw in that box room and the eyes were blue. Hopefully I'll be able to take a photograph of that picture at some point. The most profound experience Elizabeth experienced was when she was in her early 30s. And now she can say and stand up in front of everyone at church and say with no hesitation that she knows there's more than what we experience here on the earth plane. She was going through heartbreak and crying in bed. And in fact, she'd been crying for weeks, losing weight, couldn't eat and was a mess. She goes on to say she felt a presence get on the bed, tuck their knees behind hers and place an arm around her. She tried to turn her head to see who it was, but she couldn't move it. But I wasn't afraid. The room was filled with a feeling of such pure love and joy. It's not an emotion of pure love and joy. It's not an emotion we feel here on the earth plane. Nothing comes close. Nothing. The words filling her head were, you are safe and you are home. You are safe and you are home. She didn't understand what this meant. Of course she was at home. I was, she was in her bed. She fell asleep and from then she started to get better. A couple of days later, she was watching a TV programme with the medium James Van Perar. And at the end, the audience could ask questions. And one lady asked, James, where do we go when we die? And he replied, we go home. And in that instance, I understood that where home was and how it felt to be there. And it changed her life. She knows what is waiting for us. And it is incredible. Wow. So those are, those are Elizabeth's stories that she sent in to me. So thank you so much, Elizabeth, for your stories there. Now, I did say that I have also got a couple of stories and I don't think I've told you about this one either. 
Now, it was a day off from work. I was at a loose end and I was living in Derby. I had started to go off to a spiritualist church by this point in time. Yes, I must have. Yes, I had been. Um, but there's still places in Derby that I hadn't really explored. And Derby itself has got a couple of interesting museums, to say the least, or at least it did have. Unfortunately, the museum that I'm going to be talking to you about, I don't think you can get into anymore because they have closed it, sadly. It is the silk mill in in Derby. Now, some of you who know Derby will know the silk mill. It's a very large red brick building. It is one which is renowned as part of the Industrial Revolution because it was one of the first places that could actually, from the cocoon of the silkworm, all the way through to the other end of actually producing a waistcoat. And it did that in twenty-four less than 24 hours. I think they did it in 12 hours or something ridiculous like that. So the whole process of making a waistcoat, everything was all done. And that was to show how magnificent the industrial um, period was as well. Now, I've also heard about this making of a waistcoat situation um, in another town called Newbury, which I lived in as well. It's really strange, I swear. I know, I live in these places where they all just make waistcoats. It's quite funny. So in Newbury, they also did this, um, and it was from, from the wool of the sheep, had that wool spun, um, which is a bit of a harder process than silk, I have to say. And... Um, it's a bit of a slower process. So they made a waistcoat within 12, uh, 24 hours, I think it was, from the sheep all the way through to wearing it. And you can still see this waistcoat, I believe, in the Newbury, Newbury Museum as well. So, yes, there we go. You see, we can do it when we put our minds to it. We can do anything when we put our minds to it. But let me go back to my story. The silk mill in, in um, Derby was actually transformed. Yes, they talked about the whole process of milling, of how they use the water and the steam, and then they talked about uh, a couple of floors were dedicated to the, um, the weaving process, the looms and stuff like that as well. But the rest of it was actually about transportation because Derby was very famous for transportation. And I know you're all sitting there going, what's she on about? Okay. Now, if you've ever gone to a mill, a silk mill, for some obscure reason, I have not figured this one out, but the steps are actually quite big, deep steps. I don't know if you've noticed this, but there's a couple of um, mills in Derby itself, one which is now part of a university. And I always notice that the steps there are big steps. So if you ever want to do a workout, go to a mill because I, I promise you those are big steps that you take there, quite deep. Now I was I was around this museum and I was around there by myself. And the attendant told me, oh yeah, no, you've, you've got plenty of time. You've got about two, three hours. And I went, oh, okay. So I took my time leisurely walking around. He said, yeah, we'll probably close up about three-ish. I went, fine, that's okay. 
So this is daytime hours, can I say? This is during the day. I'm by myself. Um, am I connected to the spirit? Yes. Am I thinking about it? No. I'm just walking around the place by myself. And like I do with most places where I'm by myself, I will kind of mumble to myself as well. And I was looking at the looms and I was looking at you know the looms that you would have within a house, actually, not the big industrial looms either for weaving. And it would show you the whole process of that as well. And I thought, oh, that's quite fun. And I could hear this little boy. And I know it was a boy before any of you ask. It wasn't a little girl's laugh. It was definitely a little boy's laugh. And I went, gosh, I thought I was here by myself. Can't hear any parents. But I could hear this little boy and he was running around all over the place. Now, the floors here are really, really big. I mean, they are big in, in a mill, as you can imagine. And at the far end of this particular floor, I think we're on floor two, by the way, at the far end of it was um, a kind of like a, a reproduction of a of what it would be like to be in um, a train driver. So you could actually they they just basically had a screen there showing you down the tracks and then showing you what the controls looked like as well. Not that you could do anything, and you could just stand there and watch like you're going down the track, and it would give you some facts, obviously, because. Why just enjoy the scenery? <laughs> but anyway, I could hear this little boy and it, it was running around. And I thought, gosh, where are his parents? Oh, that's a bit strange, a bit weird. Oh, I better have a look out for him. Anyway, the boy came running up and I was at the far end looking out at the train, um, at this train demonstration, came back out of it. And I could hear him running around. And it seemed like he was running around behind me. Now, behind me was just this demonstration of being a, a railway, uh, of a railway driver, train driver. And you couldn't get behind it at all because they cornered it all off. Funnily enough, can't understand why, but they did. <laughs> anyway, but it sounded like he was running around up there. I thought that's a bit strange. So anyway, I started to listen out and look out for him because I thought, well, where's his parents? And I was looking for his parents and I went, that's most odd. I can hear this little boy. And then suddenly, I kind of like a little boy ran past me and went, where are you going? Because I noticed downstairs, it said no children to be entering unsupervised. They're not allowed to run around because you've got machinery there. And quite honestly, I can understand why they don't really want to have kids poking around in large pieces of machinery that can actually cut off a few small little fingers here and there. Totally get that. So then I thought, well, I'm going to have to go downstairs. Because I knew someone was manning the door. And I went down, started to go downstairs, but the boy ran past me. And he ran straight down past these steps. I mean, he flew down the steps. And the other strange thing, the footsteps that I could hear, they weren't of boots. They weren't boots. They were clogs. They were clogs. I could hear wood on wood. The floors upstairs in this mill were wooden floors. The stairs 
were concrete, obviously covered in concrete because they'd been re-sculpted at some point from having brick and stuff. But yeah, they were solid as anything. But no, the definite or stone, thick, heavy stone. Um, anyway, because you could see the groove, the wear had come in to play on a lot of those stones. So, But they were stone. Those steps were stone. But the floors were wooden. But it was definitely clogs that I could hear. And this little child ran straight past me. And I knew then it was definitely a boy. And he flew down the stairs. And I thought, gosh, I'm surprised. They're not getting up. Anyway, I got downstairs. And I went and said, hello. Um, I just want to, I, I think, did you, I, this sounds really strange. The person on the counter said, well, what's up? And said, it's really strange because, um, I don't know, maybe, I'm, I don't know. Anyway, a little boy's just run past me. And I've noticed on your sign that there shouldn't be any children. But is, is someone looking for their kid? By this point, the woman just looked at me and went, pardon? I said, a little boy's just run past me. I think he may be lost or at least a parent's looking for him. He's just run past me. He's come flying down these stairs. He's he's run into that room over there. He hasn't run out because I, I know I would have heard the doors go. He's run into the display area. Did you not see him? And she said, you're the only one here. I said, pardon? She said, no, nobody else has come in. I said, um, <laughs> sorry for this small inquisition that I would like to ask you, but um, is this place haunted? And she said, well, it doesn't come to much of a surprise, really. And I said, well, what do you mean it doesn't? Okay. She said, oh, no, there have been stories of a little boy running around. Yes, previously. And I oh, okay. All right, that's good to know. At least I'm not going totally mad. She said, no, 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 no. Has been said before of a little boy running around, especially along the stairs. But he does enjoy his days. Was he okay with you? And I said, well, he'd like to see what I was up to. Yes, we've also heard that, that he's quite curious and everything. But yes, he runs down here anyway. I went, okay, so he's all right. Yes, no, totally fine. But yes, you're the only one here. Oh, and by the way, we'll be we'll be closing in about half an hour. I went, oh, okay. Thank you. So in Derby they um they take it all very fairly easily, laid back and all the rest of it. So that was the silk mill in Derby. I'm sorry, that's my my dog getting up and just walking around there. And maybe another story for you to end on, for me to end this spectacular of stories. There was, um, which one to tell you? Mm. Now, I've got a feeling I've told you both of these. So I'm going to, if I have, please forgive me. The first one happened when I was about 14 years old. Now, you can put whatever emphasis is on this or whatsoever. I don't mind. Because, trust me, I've gone through all of those thoughts myself. 13, 14-year-old girl. Okay, so this is the time when she is definitely going to be going through lots of hormonal changes, lots of going-ons, etc., etc. Number two, she's standing in a queue, i.e. me, 
waiting to get into the drama class. Okay, drama. Okay, so she's got an over an active imagination to go along with all of those hormones rushing around. This spells tragedy already. But anyway, so this is, it really did happen. Really, really did happen. I was standing outside and it was a cold day. And um, we were standing there. There was about 30 of us. We all loved drama because it was our excuse not to do anything. Well, at least that's what we thought doing silly things as well and um on this particular day I was just standing there had I had an easy night I can't really remember to be honest probably not never did do and um I was not thinking much I could hear the English teachers I could hear the French teacher trying to teach French and I went, oh god I've got this after that okay all right um, French was never my best class, I have to say. But we were standing outside and we were waiting to get in. Mr Hudson, our drama teacher, um, wasn't quite ready for us when we got there. But while I was standing there in the queue, and I wasn't talking particularly to my friends or anything because they were all chatting away, I looked up and I couldn't quite believe what I was looking at. It was a really quite strange image that I was seeing and I just really didn't really really didn't understand it and there it hung in the air and eventually my friend said Emily are you okay and I said well yeah I'm okay and they said well you don't look it you look very pale as in like you've just seen something that's not very nice and I said no I'm all right I'm okay but that wasn't the truth. The truth was that I'd seen a face of a man. And I took particular note of what this gentleman looked like. It was nobody I hadn't seen before. Nobody that I'd met. It wasn't any of friends, family, teachers, nothing. It wasn't even at the theatre. It was nobody I could even imagine. But next to him was very shall we say Scottish playish, because I still won't say the name, hanging, a dagger hanging in the air next to him. All I could see was the face and the bloody dagger. And I knew it was fresh bloody dagger because it was literally dripping blood. And the gentleman just looked at me and then looked at the dagger and then looked at me. And then just disappeared. And at that very moment, Mr. Hudson opened the door and said, Come on then, in we go. But yes. No, I wasn't all right. And can I just say, it? Uh, that face followed me for quite a number of years afterwards. At least another three, four years. That face followed me and I would often see it from time to time. So there we go. Why? Don't know. Who? Really don't know. And do I really care? Not now. No. One more story and then we must call it a close. So how are you getting on with your mug of cocoa there? Still nice and relaxed? Fabulous. As some of you know, I used to work in theatre. Backstage. Okay. 
backstage theatre, not in the um, medical sense of theatre, by the way. And there I would be, either doing wardrobe, stage management, a bit of both, anything and everything, because I loved working in theatre. wasn't fussy about the work that I did. I just got on with it. I was offered a job as an assistant stage manager, props, basically dog's body, um, on the show. And it was off West End, way off West End. Fringe theatre, they call it, at that point. But that was fine. I didn't mind. I could stay with friends, etc. And it was a, it's a lovely little theatre. This is a bit of a long story because I have to give you some of the background. Number one, the theatre itself was an old mortuary. The hospital was literally across the road and had been turned into flats by the time we got there. There is a chute that runs underneath the road from the hospital to the mortuary, or now the theatre, and it's blocked off halfway. Um, I know this because the deputy stage manager decided to crawl down the chute. Um, I wasn't tall enough to get back out of the chute. Let's put it that way. (laughs) Once you're in it, you're in it. But he said, no, the tunnel is big enough to walk down. And yes, it is blocked off. And he said, well, well, okay, we'll we'll leave that there. Thank you. And it's covered over and you can put props on it and whatever as well on it. Now, we'd also been told that um, the theatre was haunted and the stage manager come production lady said, I have to tell you this because it is haunted and don't want you to get scared. All it is is a wailing woman. Now, she had to tell us because we were going to do 24 hours straight through, kind of getting everything prepared for the show and literally we only had... 24 hours less well we had about 20 about 30 hours before the show went up so it was everything was tight and we had to get everything done in a really short space of time so everything was prepped and ready to go but it was going to be an all-nighter at this point I was um I would say I was about 20 years old I wasn't all that old and I didn't really, I still was collecting ghost stories, loved ghost stories. The show that we were working on is based on a a Jewish Frankenstein-like story, if you like. And it is sort of based on that. Well, no, it is based on that, and it was a musical. It was a good musical. I liked it. And um, I think, actually, it could be done again, really, to be honest. And so there I was sitting backstage and we were looking at one, two o'clock in the morning. Still fine. Still absolutely fine. But there I could see the wailing woman. Fine. Okay, could take that on board. What I couldn't take on board was all the others walking in. And there were others. There were the children the man, the couple, and then this one gentleman. This one gentleman, but when you walked in, when he came in, you knew that he came in and he was not a nice piece of work. And 
let's put it this way, or everybody else I was fine with. Him, I was not fine with. Him, he scared me. He did scare me. Never put a name to him. By the way, um, this theatre also was the mortuary place of Karl Marx. And I have subsequently been to Karl Marx's graveside as well. They're not all that far away either. Moving forward through the production, children were fine. They always played with all the props, took that for granted, set it all up and, yeah, and I would have to reset everything during the show because they would play with everything. I would tell them off. And by the way, I didn't know I could do that, but I did do that. That's before I knew I could do that and you can do that. There we go. But this one night... Obviously, I'd got a little bit bored. Don't know why. I think I was waiting for a queue, and it was a long queue. And there was some blue tack, and um, I was waiting for my queue, and I was playing with this blue tack. Wasn't thinking much of anything, to be honest. Really was not. Anyway, play, and I was looking at the cast, making sure that they were okay. They got their props. Yep, they're going on. They're going off. Yeah, I'm still waiting for my queue. Yep. And I knew I had a quite a long wait because it was coming, it would be the interval when I would next be needed. And I had a good couple of scenes to go through before the interval. So I knew it was kind of a quiet period for me. I was playing with the blue tack again, not that concentrating. Again, just looking after the cast, making sure they got the props. And I suddenly looked down to see what I had created. My fingers, you know, when you're, you're mucking around with blue tack, you're normally pulling it apart and reshaping it and whatever. And unbeknownst to me, I looked at this and I went, oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. Because I had made his head. Without really thinking about it, I there was his features of a nose, chin, mouth, head and he didn't have any hair and luckily I didn't have to draw any hair or make any hair because this was almost like a skull and I looked at it and I went oh no I'm in trouble I looked at it and I, went, I don't want to look up I don't want to look up and at this moment the wardrobe mistress came in and I was still looking at this blue tuck and I quietly put it down, which was right on top of the chute. And I'm in so much trouble. I know I'm in trouble. I am in very much trouble. And then I looked up because there he was. And I knew he was there. And then he just leaned in to me. Bear in mind, I'm only five foot. He's six foot plus. Just quietly leans in and just says, and now you're dead. You understand? I sit back and I kind of go, yeah, now I'm in trouble. Big trouble. Big, big trouble. I get hold of the blue tack and I leave. The wardrobe mistress follows me and she says, you look like you've seen a ghost. And I said, I have. But this is not a nice one. This is not good. This goes 
suddenly throughout the whole company, the whole company hears that I'm absolutely petrified and don't want to go back backstage because I've got this ghost who's willing to kill me, wants to kill me because he's in a bad mood because I've made an effigy of his head. It's not a really good thing to do. Can I advise you don't do this? I wasn't setting out to do this, by the way, guys. So anyway, it would be a couple of days before the next time we would be doing the show. That evening we got through the show. Um, I got forced to be back there, um, but I did have an escort to make sure I was going to be okay. Um, but everybody did look at me as if I had seriously seen a ghost and they all could feel something had cracked off backstage big time. The production woman came up to me. She said, Emily, you, you're going to have to sort this out. And I said, well, how do I sort it? I don't know what I'm doing. I have no, you're going to have to sort it out. Well, how are we going to, you're going to have to talk to it. I don't want to talk to it. It wants to kill me. No, you're going to have to talk to it. Okay. I said, well, what's cracked off? What's happened in the area? Next door is a pub. And this pub would hold wakes. And this particular week, unbeknownst to us lot, there were three wakes from the same family. So three members of the family had died and they held the wakes day one, day two and day three. So you can imagine there was lots of fights. This guy, this particular ghost, yeah, absolutely. He would love all of that. He, You know, if there was a fight to be had, he would be in the middle of it. He'd love it because he was built like a good beefy rugby bouncer player dude. Do you know what I mean? Kind of broad-shouldered, could you know, can wear a wool coat really well. So yes. Anyway, we had a talk with him. Things calmed down. Yes, we did go back into the theatre. There was about three or four of us, and they said, "Emily, you have to lead the charge of the light brigade and talk to him." And I went, "Thanks." And they said, "Well, it's him. It's it's you. He's after, not us." I went, "Thanks." So yes, so I did go and say thank you, hi. Um, however, uh, please don't kill me. We're only going to be here for X amount of time and then we'll be leaving. Then after that, we'll fast forward to the very last night and this ends quickly. Because on the very last night, there's the wardrobe op mistress opposite me because she wants to say goodnight and goodbye and good luck to all of the cast as they go on, as do I, and say, well done, this is your last show, congratulations, as you do. And you do, you wish everybody good luck on the last one, on the last show. So they were going up and taking their curtain calls and doing their bows and everything. And the last man goes in and he's wearing this kind of big fluffy coat. And I pull the wardrobe mistress over to me. She says goodbye to him. And I pull her over to me. I said, come on, watch this. And he walks in. I said, no, you can get a better view over here. So she watches, watches the guy going up the stairs. And I'm watching the shadow. I said, just keep hold of the shadow. And she said, well, she said, I've noticed the shadow doesn't look right. And I said, I know. Just keep on watching the shadow. Now, we knew where the actor stops, which is partway up the stairs. Still can be seen, but that's where he stops. Yeah, the only thing is that his shadow didn't stop. 
And me and the water mistress looked at each other and went, shadow didn't stop. And I went, yes, I know. And I said, do you know who that is? And she said, who? And I said, guess. She said, no. And I said, yes. He's gone and taken a curtain call, hasn't he? That's who that is. So, yes. So the big guy who scared me, witless, um, then went on to take a curtain call right at the very end of the show. Bless him. So, yes, there we go. They do have personalities of their own, some of them. Um, and hopefully in these stories, you've been able to hear a story of Naport. That's the hairpins and the flowers dropping out of nowhere, suddenly appearing. You've heard about shadows and dark shadows, but they're not scary at all. Mine, I was scared because I just hadn't got a clue. And he was out. He was kind of like in a bad mood, but obviously ended up being all right at the end. And then you've also heard about paintings being changed as well. And that they do. Some of them can change and can move. And sometimes the spirit can come through that as well. As well as in a photograph. I have seen that for myself too. So if you do want to send us a story and you've listened to this and hopefully you've enjoyed this podcast, please do contact us. You can do that through email, which is thespiritguiders at aol.com. Or you can find us on Facebook and join the podcast group as well. So it's the Spirit Guiders podcast group and you can join that by all means. We'd love to hear from you. Let me know what you think and I hope that you've enjoyed this podcast. And please don't keep us a secret. And hopefully we'll come back with another mini little episode for you sometime later on in the year. I know there's not much more of the year left, but watch out for another episode. All right. Take care. Watch out for all of the news as well. On Facebook, you'll also find out what me and Jane are up to. So you can always keep in touch to find out. We're always here, there and everywhere as well. Always busy. Thank you so much for joining us and listening to us. We most appreciate that and look forward to speaking to you soon. Take care now. Bye. This is a 1386 audio production.